August 3rd. 10 things for UFC Nashville here on Keyboard Kimura presented to you by One Bone. I love this card. The closer we get to it, the more I dive into it, the more time I spend putting one question together, putting this together, doing some of my interviews yesterday for UFC.com and just sort of getting ready for Saturday, the more excited I get. Now, some of that is just natural for me week to week as we get closer and, and it gets you know, sooner to time of people punching each other in the face, I get a little bit more excited, but I look at this card. I look at this lineup. I, I go through and set up these 10 things I'm going to talk about and really like this card. We've talked in the past on this platform, both written and video about these hangover shows that people come out of pay-per-views many times and feel like they need the break. They need the time off. I've advocated in the, in the past that the UFC should try to book a weekend off after a pay-per-view so that we can let those results marinate. But this feels like diving right back in to a whole bunch of good stuff. So let's get into it. These are the 10 things I like for UFC Nashville, which takes, which takes place on Saturday at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. Prelims kick off at 3 p.m. Pacific. Main card at 6 p.m. Pacific. Item number one, an amazing main event. Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font. As much as I was looking forward to Corey Sandhagen facing Umar Nurmagomedov, both because it was just a, a terrific fight on paper, because Corey Sandhagen put out a terrific, here's why I'm facing Umar Nurmagomedov video. I like this fight a lot as well. We will get to see Umar. We will see him compete. And I actually like that he's not going from facing Haoni Barcelos as he did in January to facing Corey Sandhagen. Let's get him one in between. Let's let's figure this out a little bit more because to me, we don't need Umar up in the top of the mix yet. There's time. What I love about this fight is that stylistically, I think we're guaranteed to get an intriguing matchup. I think the way Sandhagen moves, the things he's able to do, the both sides dynamic approach that he has to offense pairs really well with Rob Font, who is a clean technical boxer, brought back some power last time against Adrian Yanez. Think he can dial it back up again here. Want to see if he can dial it up again here because that could be a differentiating factor for him in this fight as it stays on the feet. I'm curious to see if Corey Sandhagen wrestles, how much he wrestles. Curious to see what the gas tank is for Rob Font, switching from a three-round fight in Boston in a couple of weeks against Song Yudong to this fight. I say switching. That fight was pulled. Song Yudong had to pull out. So both fights had people withdraw and then they came together here. So it's not that Rob Font just said, hey, I'm leaving this one and going there. As Cody Durden did with the Bruno Silva fight. We'll get to him in a bit. But I just think all the, all the elements of this fight line up for something that to me is going to be guaranteed excitement, but also guaranteed to give us a greater understanding of who each of these men are within the context of the division right now. Corey Sandhagen is a top five fighter. He's number four in the rankings as, as I record this on Thursday morning. Rob Font is at number seven. Sandhagen has been a contender for the last couple of years. He has fought for the interim title. Font hasn't quite gotten there. And this feels like the fight to see, can he get there? Is Corey Sandhagen still that guy that is a step ahead of that second pack, of that next tier of talent? I just... Fights like this, man, like it just feels, this feels like one of those fights that 
I don't think we appreciate and we give enough credit to. I think we all know it's a really good fight. I think we all know it's a ultra competitive, very important, meaningful fight. And because there's other stuff going on in the combat sports world this weekend, and because there are more salacious, gossipy things happening in the MMA space right now, talking about this fight just goes by the boards. And it's a great goddamn fight. And I don't care about the gossipy stuff. I don't care about celebrity boxing and influencer boxing, even when it involves former UFC fighters. Give me the top 10 fighters in the bantamweight division, the best division in the UFC competing in the main event on Saturday. That's what I want. I get it. I'm an outlier. I'm a bit of a lunatic. I'm a bit of a mad bastard, as my guy Harry would say. But just give me this stuff. Give me the goods. This is the goods. I love it. It's an amazing fight. I can't wait to see it. Item number two, Tatiana Suarez takes the contender's entrance exam. I got to come up with an actual, like, I can't remember the name, acronym. There we go. Lost the word for a minute. I got to come up with an actual acronym for this because a bunch of times a year, fighters take this test. And for Suarez, it comes in the form of Jessica Andrade, who sticks around at strawweight, who fights for the fourth time this year, looks to snap a two-fight winning streak, losing streak, excuse me, becomes the first female fighter in UFC history to register 25 appearances inside the octagon. If she wins, she ties Amanda Nunes for the most victories amongst female fighters in UFC history with 15. And she is, regardless of the recent results, still a tough out, especially for Suarez, who is one fight removed from a three and a half year layoff, who fought at flyweight last time out, who looked good and got a good finish against Montana De La Rosa. But good finishes up a division against fighters that aren't in the top 15 isn't the same as staking your claim to being a contender and maybe even the number one contender in the strawweight division. And that to me is what's on the line and at stake this weekend and why I am so fascinated in this fight. I'm sure there are people that have cooled a little bit on Jessica Andrade who look at this and say, well, she's on a two fight slide and, and this is probably the start of, you know, her sliding backwards. I don't think that's the case. I think Aaron Blanchfield is the real deal. And I think she ate a big shot from Yan Jaonan who is continuing to get better, who has proven herself to be a legitimate contender at 115. I don't think Andrage is done by any stretch. And it's not because I spoke to her yesterday and I've covered her entire career, literally was there when she made her debut in Seattle against Lich Carmouche 10 years ago. It's none of that. I just see a fighter that lost to elite competition and I'm never going to be super quick to write somebody off when that's the case. This is a huge fight for Tatiana Suarez. In theory, on paper, there are clear lanes to victory for her. She should have a considerable edge in the grappling department. And as much as Andrade has worked on takedown defense, work against the fence, all of those things, Suarez has the kind of grappling and has the kind of control that if she wants to put you on the ground and she wants to dominate on the canvas, historically she has been able to. And so we're going to see Saturday if that remains the case, if she is all the way back to being that dynamic, imposing force that she was pre-layoff, pre-injuries, because on that rise, 
every single one of us thought this person is going to be a UFC champion. She felt undeniable. Now there is doubt. Four, almost four years away is a difficult thing to come back from, especially when it's right in that prime of your career. She looked good, as I said, against De La Rosa earlier this year. Now she gets the step up. Now it's the big test, and I want to see how it looks. Item number three, Kennedy and Zechiku aims to keep building. So as I talked about yesterday on one question, curious to see if this is really Kennedy putting everything together, turning the corner, becoming a full-fledged real factor in the light heavyweight division. I talked to him yesterday. We talked about that exact thing. Does it feel that way? And the thing that he kept reiterating that does make a lot of sense is sort of a thing that I touched on as well, is that he just needed the experience. And now he's getting there, right? This will be his 10th fight in the UFC. It'll be his 16th fight overall. As I mentioned yesterday, he only turned pro the tail end of 2016. So Jessica Andrade has been in the UFC for longer than Kennedy and Zechiku has been fighting pro. For much longer than Kennedy and Zechiku has been fighting pro. And I think we lose sight of that at times. I think we expect young athletes and promising competitors to just get there before it's necessarily possible. And I know I make this point regularly, but I go to it because it is true. There was a time not that long ago when every fighter in the UFC, every champion, excuse me, in the UFC was over 30 years of age and had dealt with some setbacks in the UFC. Most of them had dealt with multiple losses in the UFC. This is a tough sport. As Kennedy said to me yesterday, this isn't basketball or soccer. Like the margin of error here you make one mistake and Da Eun Jung hits you with an elbow that puts you out. You make one mistake and your night's done. It's not, I can have a bad night and I get to go back on the court tomorrow and look better. You have a bad night and it sets you back two steps. And when you're young and developing and just trying to figure everything out, those things can be crushing. He has done a tremendous job of navigating a bunch of real life challenges outside of the octagon and putting his trust and faith both in safe Saud as a coach. And he is a devoutly religious man. So his Lord and savior, Jesus Christ helping guide him to where he is now. He's looked very good of late. I rewatched the Devin Clark finish yesterday and it's, it's reactionary in the best way possible, right? That's the, that's the best way I can put it. It's not a, there's nothing mechanical about it. Devin Clark leaves his head outside and Kennedy locks up the ninja choke and is just like, we're done here. You're going to sleep, bro. It's over. It's just muscle memory in that space. And that's what I've been waiting to see. I've talked to Safe Saud about Kennedy from the time he was on the Contender Series. And he always told me, this kid puts it together. He's got power in both hands. He's big, he's long hits hard, he's smart, he's sharp, he wants to learn. It feels like all of that is coalescing. Dustin Jacoby is an amazing test on Saturday. He is an amazing yardstick to figure out if that is the case. If it is, Dustin Jacoby is a guy you can get through, push this winning streak to four, and keep moving forward. If not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to happen. It means it's just another hurdle. It's just another learning experience. 
Either way, I'm looking forward to seeing Kennedy back in a cage on Saturday. And I think he's somebody that people should be paying close attention to this weekend and then potentially going forward as well. Item four, Diego Lopez's sophomore appearance. As I talked about yesterday on one question, we all sort of came away from the Mavsari Vloyev fight thinking, okay, this dude can hang. This dude's, this dude's good. And I want to make sure for myself that I temper those expectations, which is why I'm so fascinated in seeing Lopez back this weekend against Gavin Tucker. It's one thing to come in and catch a guy off balance, as I think Lopez did against Ivloyev. Understandably, right? Wasn't supposed to fight, took to fight at the start of fight week. Very different style from the guy that Ivloyev was booked to fight. Comes out aggressive, forcing him into bad spots and, and fight a different way than I'm sure Ivloyev had intended to pursue things, had his original matchup stayed together. That benefits Diego Lopez. Now we get the second camp. Now it's time to show that that wasn't a perfect confluence of events. That wasn't just, I made the most of this opportunity when I had a guy off balance and had a great performance and a losing effort. Now you've got to go out and back it up. Now you've got to go out and affirm all of those thoughts that we had of this guy can hang. This guy deserves to be here. He's somebody that could potentially be a factor, right? Losing to Mavsar Ivloyev, who is undefeated, perfect in the UFC, perfect overall, ranked in the top 15 for the last three or four years now. You go out and you run just about level with that guy for 15 minutes on short notice. It puts you in the second 15. So if you go out and have a great performance against Gavin Tucker, you might be facing a ranked opponent next time out. At the very least, you're facing another guy that is just on the doorstep of breaking into the rankings. This is a huge moment for Diego Lopez, and I am very excited to see what he does with it this weekend in Nashville. Item five, another Ignacio Bahamundes fight. Listen, 25-year-olds that are already 3-1 and one in the UFC and on a three-fight winning streak, I'm in. I'm in. I don't really, if you've listened to this show before, if you've followed me, if you've paid attention to the stuff I put out over the past 14 years, this makes sense to you. I don't feel like I need to say much more than I'm in. Tall, rangy, good striker, good finishing instincts. I mean, come on. I know that it's not a huge fight against Ludovic Klein. I know that we're not talking about rankings and contendership and all of those things. But you want to give me a kid that's on the ascent, that's starting to put some stuff together, that's making some improvements, that potentially is at that point where he could be taking a big leap forward in the next couple of years if he's going to. And I get to just sit down and kick back and watch him go out there and do his thing. I'm a fight fan. Above all else, right? Outside of all of this, I like watching fights and fighting the UFC has replaced all the other stuff that I used to care about, where I used to know the entire farm system of the Cleveland now guardians, formerly a name that I will not use because that was my squad. So I knew who was at AAA, knew who was at AA. Now I know that about the UFC. Now I know that about MMA and I'm going to invest long-term in talents like Ignacio Bahamundes. Three straight wins, two finishes, 
and a good decision win over Trey Ogden on short notice last time out. Gets a little step up in competition here against a guy that is big, powerful, good kicker, hits hard, has some experience. Sign me up. Every single week, sign me up. Number six, veteran featherweights close out the prelims. Billy Q and Damon Jackson are very much my guys. They are very much the kind of fighters that I advocate for relentlessly in this space. Ecosystem fighters, vital pieces to any division, any weight class needs guys like this that haven't climbed into the top 15, but bring out the best of everybody trying to get there. Consistently entertaining. Love this matchup. Hate that one of them has to take a loss or a second straight loss. I should say, but this is going to be a great fight and I'm here for it. Same as I was saying about Bahamundas, end of the day, I'm a fight fan and I'm a simple man with it. You give me two tough, veteran, durable, dangerous dudes like Damon Jackson and Billy Q. I'm going to watch them compete individually every single time out. And if you put them together, I'm that much more invested. Item seven, Kyler Phillips returns. As much as I was critical or or questioning yesterday on one question, rightfully so, questioning, I'm in on this kid. I'm in on this dude. I want to see it. I want to see more, right? My question was, will he ever take that next step? I am going to watch every single appearance to see if we see him take the next step because the raw materials are there. The flashes have been there. You don't go out and beat Song Yadong if you aren't capable of being a top 15 fighter. Now he hasn't put it together consistently because the conditioning and the gas tank hasn't always been there. We saw that after in the Song Yudong fight. We saw it. We saw it afterwards in the Haolian Pilot fight. But last time out against Marcelo Royo, Phillips looked great. It was his best, most complete performance since arriving in the UFC. Now he returns Haoni Barcelos, a very tough, very dangerous veteran opponent, a guy that will make you look bad and will turn you back if you're not ready for that step. And so I'm looking forward to seeing if Kyler Phillips is ready for that step. This is, I touch on it every week here. Give me the data points. Give me the chance to make assessments. Let's take the time to watch these athletes. And again, I know that I am an outlier. I know that not everybody thinks this way. But anybody that becomes a contender doesn't just drop in. Very seldom do people just drop in to being contenders, right? Even Alex Pahea, who made it to the top of the middleweight division in an incredibly short amount of time. Yuri Prohashka at light heavyweight. Prohashka had a whack of experience coming into the UFC. Alex Pahea had a ton of experience outside of MMA and then still had to go through a couple of those fights where we had to figure out and see, just make sure that he could get the job done. I want to see it. I want to keep tracking it. It frustrates me to no end when people that cover this sport and pay attention to this sport say things like people come out of nowhere because they don't, they never do. They never have. They come out of preliminary card fights on events in Nashville on the first Saturday of August. Kyler Phillips has the potential to be a guy in the bantamweight division. Again, one of the best divisions in the UFC. And we get a chance to see if he's ready to take that next step 
and face one of these top 15 opponents or somebody just outside of that pack next time out this weekend. Item number eight, Jeremiah Wells looks for a fifth straight win. I mean, this is a perfect follow-up to that point about Kyler Phillips and people not coming out of anywhere, not coming out of nowhere, excuse me. There are going to be people that still don't know who Jeremiah Wells is and that when he wins a fifth straight, if he wins a fifth straight this weekend over Carlston Harris and gets paired off with somebody either in the top 15 or just outside of the top 15, somebody of consequence, let's use that term. People are going to say, who is this guy? Where did he come from? He came from these fights. He came from knocking out Worley Alves in his debut on short notice in the second round. He came from knocking out Court McGee and stopping Blood Diamond when he started to run around the cage and got himself tripped up and nearly had a terrible start to that fight. He came from a tough fight last time out against Matthew Semmelsberger. These are the kinds of guys that A, are my people that I am always going to advocate for, that I am always going to shout out in this space, on this program, and everywhere I go. But like five fight winning streaks in the UFC aren't easy to come by. They're not something that we see all the time. And Wells has the real possibility to go out and get there on Saturday. It's a good matchup against Carlston Harris. I think he does get it done. And so it's one of those things to me that like, I get why people aren't checking for him. I understand it. It makes sense to me because he's 36, because he's outside of the top 15, all of those things. You can't, I mean, I'm, I'm shaking my head here on the feed and, and anybody that's just listening is getting a little bit of dead air and a little bit of pauses in between. And I apologize for that, but like, you can't say that you don't know where these guys come from. You're getting the opportunity to see them. You're getting the chance to see them. You're getting folks like me telling you about them. So I get that not everybody's talking about them. And I get that not everybody's attention and focus this week is on Nashville. But Jeremiah Wells is the is somebody that is worth paying very close attention to this weekend. Because four straight wins in the UFC, which he has already accomplished, is a very good accomplishment. And a fifth straight in the welterweight division, one of the toughest divisions in the UFC, takes it to another step. And he's going to be in there with somebody that you know, that you like, whose name you remember next time out. So pay attention to him now. Item number nine. Intriguing featherweights on short notice. Curious to see more of both Sean Woodson and Dennis Bazookia this weekend in a fight that came together, I believe Tuesday, fourth opponent for Woodson. Bazookia finally gets tapped in. Woodson is a guy that for me, the way I have it written down is my notes, in my notes, is that he's someone that looks like he could be dangerous, but he hasn't quite gotten there yet, right? At featherweight, he is... Super tall for the division, big, long, rangy, lanky, whatever word you want to use. He's got good hands. We've seen some good finishes, but there's just been consistency issues, pace issues, cardio issues, and it hasn't quite come together. Bazookia is a guy that has been on the contender series twice, lost his first one to Melsic Bagdasarian, one last time out, but didn't get a contract. And he's one of these people that members of the MMA community have been advocating to get this opportunity for quite some time now. He's the guy that anytime he gets a win, he's one of those folks that anytime he gets a win, 
there's a little pocket of people that will chime up and go, well, is that going to be enough now? Well, here it is. And it's not ideal, certainly not ideal circumstances, but that to me makes it all the more interesting. That to me makes it all the more compelling because if you could go out on short notice, on next to no notice and beat a guy like Sean Woodson, then you validate all of those should have been here all along kind of comments and thoughts. And if you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't deserve to be here or merit being here, but it then ratchets up the pressure a little bit more the next time around, right? You have the built in, Hey, let me get a full camp. Let me prepare for somebody. Sean Woodson is a, not quite a one of one, but a like oddity within the division, a, a rarity within the division. Let me get a camp. Let me prepare for somebody and I'll show you what I can really do. It's a tough ask for both guys. Like it came together late. It's a tough ask for each of them. So let's see how it shakes out and see what we learn on Saturday. Last one, item number 10, flyweight twin bill to open the show. So second fight of the day is Cody Durden versus Jake Hadley, which I think is a great pairing. Talked to Jake Hadley on, on Wednesday and he said he's, you know, so Jake Hadley's a, a brash, confident kid. And he said he's surprised that both he and Durden aren't ranked. Pointed out that Sumadarji and Tahiru Lembekov both are. Said neither of them fight more than once every 10 years. He's kind of got a point. Cody Durden's on a three-fight winning streak. Jake has won his last two, both by finish. Probably could merit being in the rankings. Probably could. But for right now, they're both outside. They're both in that second 15. And this to me does feel like a fight where the winner breaks into that top 15, but also this fight is going to tell us a bunch more about what to expect from each of these guys going forward over the next 12 months. Cody Durden is a little bit older than Jake Hadley. He's in his thirties already been a bit of a journeyman. And now he's starting to put it together. He goes out and beats a 26 year old 27 today. Happy birthday. Jake Hadley goes out and beats a 27 year old. That's on a nice little run that is a former Cage Warriors champion that has a little bit of buzz to him. It elevates him even more and it shows, okay, so now the losses don't feel as bad and he's on a four fight winning streak and let's see, and he gets some opportunities. Jake Hadley goes out and halts this man's winning streak and puts together a third straight win. And if he gets a third straight finish, as I said yesterday, it's the opportunity to maybe vault ahead of Tatsuro Taira, put himself in the top 15, get himself some of these bigger matchups that he already has been looking for and wanting and calling out and establish himself not as the number one prospect in the division because I think until Muhammad Makayev falters, that is his title to hold on to, but he can be the number two. He can take second place on that podium. And it's a big fight. It's really interesting to me. Really curious to see it. As for the opener, Oday Osborne and Asul Amabayev, it's, it's, a great de- it's, a, it's great debut matchmaking. In my opinion, I have been back and forth on these incoming shiny record, but can't quite peg where they fit types of fighters. And more often than not this year, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby have done a great job of putting them in there with opponents that have five or more UFC fights. We know the baseline for them. We know sort of generally where they stand and we get a pretty good read of who and what they are in that first fight. Hussein Ashkabov against Jamal Emmers comes to mind. 
Luana Karolina against Anna Petrovich comes to mind. This feels the same. I have no idea where Almabaya fits in this division, but Osborne is a known commodity. Four and three in the UFC, three and two at flyweight, beats mid-pack guys, right? Anybody that's mid-pack and lower, he has beaten thus far. He's struggled against Manel Cape, understandable, top 15 guy, got knocked out by Tyson Nam. Dude has hella power, super experienced, fine. This gives us an immediate chance to get a good read on where Almabayev fits, whether he wins or loses. We come away knowing more about this guy. I love it. I love the flyweight division. Happy to see them kicking off this show. It'll be an exciting energy start to this event, I think, which will get the ball rolling and get things moving in a positive direction right out of the gate. I hope this episode has gotten you a little more excited. As you can tell, I keep getting, as I said off the top, closer we get to Saturday, the more excited I get. I hope that is happening for you as well. I will be back tomorrow with the two-piece, the Friday two-piece, the Punch Drunk Predictions and the Betting Show. You can follow all of it by clicking the QR code up in the corner. If you are watching on the YouTube, if not, go to spencerkite.substack.com and sign up for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. Free subscription, five bucks a month, 50 bucks for the year. Gets you everything I put out straight into your inbox. It is podcast versions of all of these shows and then any written content that I put up. So about Saturday's action, 10 things we learned, things of that nature. You get the Keyboard Kimura podcast if you are a paid subscriber. That is the Monday paywall piece that goes up. You get next day takeaways on, on Sundays. Everything we do goes there. You can also find all of that content at Spencer Kite on Twitter and Instagram. Also on threads, but I haven't posted anything yet because it just feels like it's not really happening yet. So we'll just, we have, we have the name. We'll just let it sit for now. Everything goes up there. Go check that out. Also check out my guys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram onebonebrand.com. I've got a delivery coming today of some fresh gear, some new gear, a couple of limited edition drops that I'm very happy to have gotten in on. Thank you, boys. Shouts to Sam. Shouts to Adam. Appreciate you. Go check them out. If you do, ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you. Love you. Hope your week has gone well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll see you Friday for the Double Dip.